Hello and welcome to the Mindful Family Business. My name is Russ Hayworth and I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Martin Stepek. In each episode, we will be exploring and learning about the ancient teachings of mindfulness and how we can apply these to situations within our family business. We are also offering access to a program that takes what we speak about and applies it to your own family business. More details of that at the end of the show. But for now, take a breath, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, Martin. How are you? Hi, Russ. I'm very well. I've had a great week doing a lot of mindfulness work with NHS people and with carers here up, up in Scotland. And it's really rewarding because everybody's worked so hard. People are a bit tired. Morale is a wee bit strained. So if I can do work with them to help them remember that life's good, um, that's good for all of us. Yeah, and I can imagine it must be very rewarding in terms of the kind of positive impact that you can have on people who have been working so hard. It kind of shows the breadth and, and um, depth to which mindfulness can have such a positive impact on um, a wide range of people. Yeah, and it can get very personal as well at times. It so happens that one of the groups I'm teaching just now are NHS staff from one of the two hospitals that cared for my sister, my late sister, um, in her dying years um, when she was suffering from cancer. And so it was almost like an opportunity to thank them and help them back. And then it gets really, really beautifully special. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And what we are obviously hoping to do with this podcast series is to help as many people as we can in in terms of understanding the role in which um, mindfulness and mindful thinking can have in their lives within family businesses in in this case and obviously we've covered um, the fact that you have um, you grew up within a family business and and experienced an awful lot with uh, what comes along with a family business and uh, I'm an advisor to, to family businesses which is why we've focus this series on um, that area in particular but obviously it's a mindfulness isn't exclusive to um, family businesses which is is demonstrated there as well. Yeah and I think that for me you know there are parallels in my personal life and my working life um, between the family business side and the, the mindfulness side. They are skills and experiences I learned separately over decades and I got to the happy position of being able to give back the mindfulness to others to help them and give back my experiences of family business to others and then when you add the two together you've got a very strong um, unique gift if you like um, to, to do that and that's, that's just a privilege to do. Yeah absolutely and we have recorded a few shows now where we've looked at things like the Four Noble Truths and we're on to um, discussing areas around the Eightfold Path, which is the fourth of the, the Noble Truths or the truths that will ennoble you, as, as we've discovered throughout the um, recordings. 
before we get into today's um, specific topic, which is regarding um, right intention or right thought, but could you just again summarize where we are in terms of the first of the the elements of the eightfold path that we covered in the last show? Yeah, so in in a sense, the first of the paths. So these paths are not to be done consecutively. They are essentially elements that we try to build simultaneously in our, into our lives. And the first one is right view or right understanding. And right view and right understanding is actually developing your awareness of the four truths that we've covered. So really embedding the understanding that life brings a lot of frustration. Life brings a lot of dissatisfaction. Life brings a lot of irritants and pain and suffering. That's just reality. So it's embedding that so that we don't pretend that there isn't anything wrong in the world, so that we don't pretend nothing will come and you know, do something to, to harm us. Then the second of those truths is, why does that happen in our mind? You know, when you and I were talking earlier, you know, separate to this about the fact that so many people of wealth have so many issues, so many difficulties in their life, and you think, well, but they've got everything. And yet there's something hollow and empty inside. And so that understanding of that it's desires for other things, it's constant wanting and constant dislikes of certain things that cause this ailment in the mind of dissatisfaction and frustration and suffering. So that's the second truth. So you've got, yes, there's lots of forms of suffering. They generally come from our wants and our dislikes. So if we can manage and reduce the wants and dislikes, that takes us to the third truth, which is the fact that you can reduce this inner suffering. You can reduce this frustration, this confusion, this uncertainty. And in fact, in theory, you could actually get rid of it all. And then you would be totally content with your life. And that's a perfect space to be in. And so that's the fourth truth is really saying that's there's a path to get to there. And so this is where we, we now are in our, our journey on this. And that's about the first noble truth is right understanding. Understand this. You suffer, it cause, it's caused in your mind, you can deal with it. And then we move on to the, the second one, which is right intention or right thinking. Mm. And g- give us a kind of overview of what that means in terms of kind of right thinking, because to my mind that if we're talking about right thinking, if somebody, and I don't know whether there's a connection here or whether it's disconnected, but but in terms of right thinking, how does that correlate with people thinking they're right, if that makes sense? Is it because we're talking about different things here? Yeah. Is that, is that a good way to start that conversation? Yeah, it's a great way. Um, and what, it made me laugh there because everyone thinks they're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you have five people having a discussion, they all disagree with each other and they all think they're right. Yeah. And only one of them could be right. Exactly. So, or none of them could be right. So it's certainly not thinking that you're right because that is very often a deluded view. And that, that's an interesting perspective 
you know, from the area we are talking about just now. So right thinking, the first thing is to realise that the word right is yet another poor translation, not even poor translation, poor understanding of what it originally meant two and a half thousand years ago in northern India and in Nepal. And it is because people from European Christian backgrounds were first for the first time finding a totally different religion or philosophy and they started trying to translate it and understand it from a semi sort of Christian European perspective when it's very, very different. So there's a lot of misunderstandings going on and that's one of them. The word right should actually be something like skillful or well-considered. So if you think of the first truth, which is a right view or a right understanding, it's not saying this is the truth. They're saying intelligent, thoughtful people will use their skills in noticing what the world is like to get to a view. And so the emphasis is always on don't just react, don't just assume look at the subject, look at the whole thing and see more deeply and maybe more wisely about what the reality of a situation is. So when we talk about right thinking and right intention, it's saying, what's skillful? What would skillful thought be like? Well, it wouldn't just be reacting to a situation. So the classic example I always use, and my apologies to my daughter for this, but is my daughter is a teenage girl coming home from school, taking off one shoe, it gets tossed in one room, takes off the other shoe, it gets tossed in the hall, goes into another room, takes off her, um, which got a jacket, leaves it lying in the, the bed or something. And we notice it as parents and we go, ah, oh, for goodness sake, can you not tidy your room? Can you not keep your room tidy just for two seconds? Now that is not right thinking. That is not skillful thinking. That's not considered response, that's just automatic reaction. And the mind has genetically been programmed to react automatically. And we, what right thinking is therefore is, or the intention is to try to overcome that automatic reaction and think more considerately, think more thoughtfully, think more slowly and wisely in each moment. So the, the Buddha had this fantastic phrase, you know, I'm always amazed at how modern his thinking was. He said, with our thoughts, we create the world. And what he was meaning, he wasn't meaning that, you know, there is no reality out there and it's all just in the mind, which some people, almost like a matrix sort of situation. Um, what he was saying was that how we perceive the world depends on how we feel, depends on our mood. Now, if that's the case, then skillful and right thinking is our ability to sense what our mind is doing and feeling and sense how it's making us view the world and making us feel bad about being alive, for example, in those moments, feel as being bad about people, feel as being bad about situations. When if you could just stop, look at it and think more constructively or from a distance, then you would see the world in a different light. 
So we'll take a situation that's, I'll try and make it generalised so that this isn't too time limited, but there are wars going on. There are always wars going on. There are wars going on ever since I was born in 1959, without stop. There's a war going on somewhere. And it would be very easy from that perspective to think that the most recent war, oh, it's a disaster, it's terrible, this is so awful. But then if you take a few steps back, you realise that most countries aren't at war most of the time, which is a much better way of seeing a reality than, oh, everything's terrible because there's some wars going on. That's not to say wars are any less horrible and destructive, but, for example, I have never been in a war. I've never been conscripted to a war, and I've lived more than half a century. My country has never been in a war in our own country. You know, unlike my dad, you know, who'd two countries invade his country and he saw tanks and, you know, bombs falling on his, his the buildings. So that view of taking steps back is a more accurate, more thoughtfully considered thought process than the gut reaction. And it helps us with every walk of life. And the whole idea is we'll come to um, in, in due courses. We could try to do that in every moment. In every moment, try to have skillful thinking. Try to have skillful intentions. And skillful intentions are intentions that try to do what's right for everyone in a situation. Knowing that you can't always do that. Knowing that sometimes somebody's got to lose. Knowing that sometimes you have to put yourself and your family first. But it's not just the gut selfish reaction to things. So the intention is always try not to harm others. The intention is always try to do what's best overall rather than just me, 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 me. So that, that to me is, is, is right thought and right intention. And it's applicability to, to family business context or any context. This is just pure logic and common yeah. sense. I was about to say in terms of, of applying the, the skillful um, thinking, the skillful intention to a family business scenario, I mean, just take a, a family meeting as a general point. It can be very easy to react and to to kind of um, to do so in an emotional sense when somebody presents or, or a different view or something that resonates to something that may have happened in childhood when you're growing up or that harks back to a parent-child type relationship and all of that can can create some tension in those types of meetings. And I guess what we're saying here is that if we're aware of that and are mindful about how we think and react to these things, it can start to diffuse the potential yeah. tensions and arguments that can result from that. I mean, the first thing I'd say is this is hard work. <laughs> to develop skillful thinking, to develop constructive intentions is a lot of hard work for a lot of people. Some people are born lucky with their genes. Some people are naturally well-intentioned. Some people are naturally skillful and slow to react, more considerate than others. That's just 
the luck of the draw. Nobody's perfect at it. You know, the most placid, the most thoughtful, the most altruistic, the kindest person has a fuse somewhere and it can just sometimes blow. And we've all seen this probably in, gosh, so I've never seen them angry before. I've never seen them like that before. You know, and it's usually it's those people who are generally the opposite of that, that you, you see it most closely. But if we can learn, and it takes time, but it's learnable to just pause and be in charge of pausing at least. There's a, a famous phrase um, or statement by Gandhi who was asked once um, why he was hesitant in his public speaking and they thought it was maybe because in English, you know, it was a second language or whatever. And he said, no, 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 it's, I have to look at my thoughts to see if they're worth saying. <laughs> you know, and you just think, that's an amazing insight. Yeah. To know that you have to check, because we don't consciously think things. It's an amazing thing, and you see this when you practice things like mindfulness. We don't actually consider what we're going to think. What happens is the thoughts come up in our head and 99.9% of the time we agree with them and then maybe say or do something as a result of them. But, you know, if you think, take, take a silly example, a mundane example, cup of coffee. So you're busy working away with something, or chatting to someone, then the thought appears in your head, cup of coffee. And then you think, yeah, I'd like a cup of coffee. But who produced the thought in the uh -huh. first place? It's not like you thought, now I'm going to think I want a cup of coffee. <laughs> and, and this happens all the time. This happens in meetings. This happens at the most intense of difficult negotiations. The thought appears. You haven't chosen the thought. The thought has chosen itself based on this amazing complex thing called the brain. And then you nearly always go with it because, well, it's you that produced your thought. It's your thought and therefore it must be right, which is a really, really poor judgment. <laughs> well, because nobody's thoughts are always right. So that's hence to get good at pausing. Because if you don't choose your thoughts, then you don't know when they pop up, whether they're any good or not. And if you can pause, then another part of your brain comes in to assess. Say, oh my God, don't say that or you'll blow the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. Sometimes we do that. You know, that, that, that is also built into us, usually by culture, usually at school. Mm. Sit down and behave and you learn to slowly just not say or think something. You realise that, you know, you can get into trouble if you just let your mind completely control things. Ironically enough, in the family, you tend to drop that guard. Um, especially if you've been working hard, you go home, you're tired. You don't want to be continually looking at your own thoughts and being measured and being controlled, being careful about it all. You just want to chill out. But then that's when somebody says something, you say, Ugh, do it later, you know, I'm trying to do this just now. And you would never say those things at work to a colleague. So it's, it's, an, it's a really interesting space, but it's, it's the fundamental. Once you, in terms of practice, 
you know, once you understand that there's dissatisfaction, frustration, and that it comes from our wants and our reactions and our, our dislikes and the hatreds of things, um, and an understanding that you can work on this, then the next thing is you need to be in control of this thing called what we call the mind. And what are our intentions? Do we have intentions or do we just let the intention work itself out in a moment? In the one moment, you can see this again, you see it in films all the time, but it happens in real life. You see somebody respond to something. There's an incident and they're angry and they shout at somebody or they do something. Then three minutes later, they're begging for forgiveness and they're crying that they did it and they're saying, I'm so sorry. It's the same person doing two entirely different things over the same scenario. And you think, you know, we ought to be better than this. We ought to be better at this than this. But we're not because we are genetically programmed to overreact. And we need to learn how to be in charge of our thoughts. And there's an amazing um, mosaic in Mexico City um, by, oh, I can't remember the, the artist's name just now, it'll come back, um, Frida Kahlo's husband. Um, and it's some, called something like Man Trying to Control the World. And it's a painting of a guy with control. So it's almost like 1960s sci-fi. You know, he's, he's got these controls. And all around him is the entire world. So there's the night sky. There's It, it was done in the 1930s. So there's the communists marching and there's the fascists and Hitlerites marching. And then there's the sea. And then under the sea, there's the fish. And under the fish, you know, there's, there's sort of shells and things like that. So it's the entire world. And his face is absolutely fraught with strain and difficulty as he's trying to control this world, you know, and that's mankind trying to control history, trying to control the future. And we're like that. That's what our mind is like. It's just fraught with these intense, often dark um, responses and reactions. And it's all about personal control, not trying to control the world, not trying to control the economy, not trying to control things that are, that are out with our control. But what we can control with work is what our intention is. We can control what our thoughts are. And with our thoughts, you can't stop the thoughts popping up. So right thought is, what do you do when they do pop up? You skillfully let go of the ones that are unhelpful and you hope and you try to make a better one. Mm. That's all you have. Ultimately, it's all you ever have. Yeah. And one of the points you made um, was that this is hard work uh, and like there's two words there hard and work and it's not something that again you can kind of go away from um, hearing for the first time and go right I'm going to do that now I'm, I'm going to be a skillful thinker I'm going to be um, less reactive and less driven by the kind of emotional responses that I have at the time uh, and I guess what we would say to people who have that intention and want to, to be more skillful thinkers and want to be able to be perhaps less reactive in that sense is not to be harsh on yourself if the next time that situation arises that it doesn't go exactly how you planned. Again, particularly if we're talking about a family business scenario is that 
if you go in there with the best intentions of this is how I'm going to be and this is how I'm going to act and this is how I'm going to react to, to what goes on, is if that doesn't go to plan is to not give up on that but to accept that that is hard work and that it is work. You need to practice. You need to be able to reflect on it and understand perhaps why some of the thoughts that came or some of the reactions that came, why they were happening. Um, again, is that part of where... So mindfulness practice can come in, in in terms of helping people to rationalize that and, and to understand that side of things? Yeah. I mean, it's a wee bit unfortunate in the ordering of the Eightfold Path in that mindfulness comes as number six um, because it is the mechanism by which we do all the others. So I'm not quite sure. It wasn't the Buddha himself who called it the Eightfold Path. And I think had he been doing it himself, he would have changed the order. Well, that's me surmising. But, um, but yes, so mindfulness is just noticing. But if you think then immediately, if you're talking about right intention, well, you have to notice your intention to make it right, to make it skillful. You have to notice your thoughts to make them the best thoughts they can be rather than just the first one. And that being aware is the mindfulness part. Now, given that our minds are so dominantly genetically automatic and programmed, then at any moment, our mind could produce something that doesn't help any situation. You know, it's like, I've got to go to the gym today. Oh, it's raining outside. I've got to get on with stuff first. You know, this happens to loads of people every day. So at any moment, your automatic mind can usurp what you really want to be doing, thinking, saying. And that therefore means, that's, that's the work bit. That means that at every moment, ideally, you need to be checking. You need to make sure that what's going on in your mind, what's going on in your life, is the best it could be, given the situation. The hard bit is that the mind doesn't want you to do this. <laughs> The mind wants you to just do what you're told. It's, it's such a strange way of describing this because it's almost as if you're, you're possessed, you know, by some alien or some force that's come in. But that's what it's like. I mean, who chooses to get angry? Who chooses to be depressed? Who chooses to worry? Who chooses to be stressed? You know, nobody wakes up in the morning and thinks, okay, I've got about 75 emotions, including love, tolerance, kindness, energy, feeling great about being alive. No, 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 I'll be worried today. You know, but that's what our brain does for us. So it takes a lot of work to continually notice that what your mind is doing and therefore the beginnings of then being able to change it to something better. And it's very hard because this automatic mind that is producing these unhelpful emotions is what we naturally and fully assume is us. So when your mind gets anxious about something, you don't think, ah, it's just my mind being anxious. I'm not anxious because the whole thing's just gobbled you up in one. And you're with the anxiety, you are the anxiety, and you play out the anxiety in your head until... The dominant mind says, oh, I had enough of anxiety. Let's look at the sunshine. Oh, it's a nice day today. I'll be happy. 
I think, why do you put me through all this? So that's what we have to work. And there are two different parts of the human brain that evolved at different times. One is the automatic one that's churning all this stuff out. And the other, the prefrontal and part of the neocortex, different part of the brain that's all about saying, hey, hang on a wee sec. I don't really need to be anxious. Let's, let's consider this. Now, firstly, it makes me feel rotten. Okay, well, that's a good reason not to be anxious. Secondly, it produces all these hormones that wear out my body and make me feel ill. Oh, right, okay, that's another bad reason. Thirdly, it makes everybody feel miserable around me. You know, so why not have another one of these emotions? Uh -huh. Oh, be content. Oh, that's a good one. Let's move in that direction. Um, and this is doable, um, but you do have to understand that it's, it's different tools at your disposal. Yeah. But it's, and, and I was going to say just there, it's hard, hard work. Yeah. Why? Because it's hard, hard work. That's why. The Buddha said it was brilliant. He said, this is against the tide. Uh -huh. As we said, the tide of the mind is to react and overreact and be predominantly negative. Uh -huh. Swimming against the tide is to override that and to produce constructive moments in your life. Yeah. And taking that analogy um, in terms of swimming against the tide <clears throat> is if we, if we represent that from a physical perspective, the, the more physically you practice to be swimming against the tide, the, the perhaps easier it becomes. And I guess can we transpose that into um, sort of the, the, the mental fitness or the, the, the mental exercise that's needed in order to make it easier to swim against that tide? over time as well because again for, for what we covered in in the um opening shows was around your own experience of either mindfulness finding you or you finding mindfulness because you were stressed in, an, in a business environment and ended within your family business and i'm guessing at the first one you didn't go to the first one and come out and that was it <laughs> it was done hence why we're here however many years later still talking about the mindfulness practice around it and it's part of that is firstly that if people are listening to this and they are feeling stressed and they are i love the way you described you know waking up in the morning almost going to the wardrobe and going i'm going to wear my stressed suit today and i'm going to put my angry hat on and i'm going to you know my um stress stress socks or whatever it is that, that you use as in terms of choosing your emotions instead of the happy shirt and, and that side of it i think that's a great way to to explain we don't you know, we don't wake up and choose to do this it's the mind creating it but you're also testament for the fact in terms of the third noble truth is that there you can you can work on this you can you can overcome this um is through these practices and and how that they've been applied to your own life is testament to the fact that yes it's hard work but it can be done yeah and I mean, I'm far from perfect, and I could bring in exhibit number one to show that I could bring in my wife, and she would very quickly tell you when I'm not <laughs> mindful. Um, but part of mindfulness, real practice, is to accept that you'll never be perfect and to stop wanting to be perfect. What you want is to have more perfect moments. And by perfect moments, I don't mean jetting off to see you know, the Taj Mahal or something like that. I mean a perfect moment here in this room with this cup, you know, with that painting behind me talking to you. You have to take the tools of here and now to make as good a moment as you can. 
And given that I'm not in India, I can't be as wowed here as seeing the Taj Mahal, for example. But I can be as wowed about being alive. And I can be as wowed right here about the fact that I've got pure, clean running water from a tap when it's probably the most important invention in human history. Because prior to that, millions upon millions upon millions of people, including 10% of the population of Glasgow, died in 1832 because the water was contaminated. And now we don't have to worry about that. Uh, Van Tam, um, the government advisor of COVID, um, gave a lecture over Christmas and said that the invention of water purification was the most life-saving life invention of human history. And we have it, and we don't even know it. We don't even notice it. And you don't need to go to the Taj Mahal to be wowed and amazed and so grateful for that. You just need your mind to be in the right state. And that's right thinking, that's skillful thinking. And if we had skillful thinking like that all the time, and I'm not pretending I am like that all the time, but if we had skillful thinking like that all the time, every single person in Britain waking up would be crying with gratitude. We'd be dancing in the street because we have so much that we don't notice is helping us, it's saving our lives, it's saving our children's lives. And if we really understood that, we'd have nothing to complain about. I know we've got very grave difficulties here with fuel costs, you know, we've got all sorts of problems going on, but we don't have to search for clean water, you know, to keep our babies alive. You know, we don't have to search for clean water to keep ourselves alive. And, and that's an astonishing thing. Every morning I wake up and I notice my head in the pillow and I feel grateful I've got a pillow. Why? Because my dad didn't have a pillow when he was in the labour camps and when he was trying to search for freedom. And millions of people don't have pillows and I've got a pillow. So I notice it and I notice how comfortable it is and I feel comfortable and good and grateful and compassionate for others who don't. And the last thing at night is notice my head in the pillow, feel grateful, boom, boom, boom. Same process. And that all stems from skillful thinking. Now, it alludes to what you were talking about earlier, Russ, which is the more you do it, it's not like you can stop. If you stop, the tide just swims, takes you back to where you came from, which is not necessarily a good space. But if you keep going, it does get easier because you get into the habit of having right thoughts. You get into the habit of having right intentions. And why do you get into the habit of it? Because you've been mindful. You've noticed your state of mind. You've noticed when you screwed up 10, 20, 100 times and you start to realise it's important to notice better. So you work harder at it. And then you start to gain this lovely experience, which can take years, it doesn't really matter how long it takes, that you are being mindful and noticing it and you haven't even had to try to be mindful. So you've built a habit of being mindful and now being mindful is in your automatic mind as well as this other part of the brain. Um, and the better you get at that, then you're really in a good role from there. And that's helped me through sort of um, deaths and illnesses of people I love um, over a long, long period of time now. Um, and been remarkably 
helpful in a practical way and uplifting and helped me through our own family business issues in the, in, in the last years of its existence. And, and it's all about right thought. It's about skillful thought. How do you not just take whatever's popped up in your head, but rather think about it, genuinely think about it, which means let other thoughts pop up. And if they're rubbish, let them go. And even if there's five in a row that are rubbish, let them all go and see if the sixth one's better. And quite often, the second one's better than the first because you've rejected the first one and the brain automatically pops up with something different. So it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's all process, but you have to know that the process will help. Yeah, and you, you mentioned that if everybody in um, the UK or everybody in the world or, or whoever, you know, masses of people were able to, to do this, that we would be sort of euphoric and, and exceptionally grateful. If we took that to a much, much smaller scale and took it to, say, a family business scenario, you, you could argue that if everybody in the family was able to um, think skillfully and was to, to apply this to how they interact with each other, it would be a fantastic um, not necessarily perfect, but fantastic family business kind of environment. But that, again, is not to say that there is no benefit from one or two people within that family taking on that view. And it's better that if it's one person and if it's you listening to this right now and you're thinking, well, this is all very good, but how do I deal with X, Y, and Z in my family who aren't going to take any of this on board? Is it, It's going to be better for you in that sense of, processing and helping to deal with any form of difficulty within the family business or any challenge that comes up as a result of the business um, if you're adopting this and practicing it. Yeah, I mean, if you think of a situation where, say, there's a family of four and everyone is in agreement except for this one outsider and no matter, and this is quite common in a family business, it's quite common that there's a person who doesn't feel they quite fit. And everybody else kind of knows that that's the case, but they skip around it. But that person who doesn't quite fit, if they learn to have skillful thought and skillful intention, so they don't want to hurt the family, they certainly don't want to hurt the business, that would be self-harming. But they don't fit. Now, if you think carefully about that, then it doesn't really matter. So you don't fit. That's okay. You're still part of something that's good. It's, it's part of your heritage. It's enjoyable. You love these people, despite the fact that you don't fit with them. There's so much more still going on in your life that's good that you can accept this imperfection that you'd rather was, was not there. But in the big scheme of things, it's, it's tiny. And that then means that you go into situations in a much more relaxed way. You don't have a, a built-in tension in your head right at the start. And you retain a degree of comfort in being relaxed about things. And that then probably means that the conversations go better. Decisions are made or wiser, maybe without less rancor. And it might even be by a strange twist of fate that you actually start to fit. 
because part of it, the not fitting is from your side. Um, and that that's essentially where mindfulness helps in terms of the clarity of thought. And in a, a family business situation, there's all possible relationship issues. There's all possible desires and ambitions and wants or dreams and visions within the context of the family that are possible clashes. But when you think carefully about it, then what really matters? Your health matters, your immediate family matters, having enough to actually enjoy life matters. But as Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, famously said, they remember how little you need to have a fulfilled life. And also it's not about having loads of stuff. And when you get to that stage, then you can deal with the issues in a family business for what they really are, which are just issues. You know, it's, it's no big deal. You know, try like I had to do um, 10 years ago or so, is cuddle your sister on a Friday night knowing she was going to an operation on the Saturday and the doctor said there's a one in five chance you won't come out of this alive. You know, well, that matters. Having a row about who's got what shares or who's going to be the next managing director is nothing in comparison with those things. But a wrong mind with unskillful thinking doesn't see it that way. So it helps to bring reality to the fore. It helps to bring the big picture to the fore. And that then means you can have conversations in a much more constructive, positive, caring way, because ultimately it's not that big a deal. We've lost our family business. And, you know, I'm happy. You know, my brothers and sisters are happy. Not happy at losing it, but happy despite losing it. So when you've got it, you think, oh, it's everything, it's everything, it's everything. But that's a bubble. That's a big delusion. What you've got, happy family. What you've got, my health. What you've got, you've got enough to enjoy life. What you've got, you've got something in your mind that says life is beautiful. Then the rest is just rubbish. Now, that's difficult from a family business context to bring that straight in. You know, yeah. Hello, pleased to meet you. I'm your family business advisor. The University. You know, actually, what you're thinking about is all rubbish. Yeah. None of it matters. But actually, it is. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right, you're sacked. Thank you. Next, person, next advisor. Yeah, absolutely. And I think part of that as well in terms of the, the right thinking perhaps could be the gratitude that you can feel that you're having these experiences with those that are closest to you as well. Oh, yes, we might be having difficult discussions about X, Y, and Z, but the fact that we're able to do this as a family in terms of what we're able to achieve with our business, what we're able to to do and have such a positive impact on those around us and those within the business that, that aren't family is something we can be hugely grateful for and hugely proud of. And, you know, put it into that context of, you know, in the grand scheme of things, when when all said and done, the significance of what we're talking about now might not be as significant as we think it is, but it's, we should be grateful for being in this position in the first place. Yeah, and that position of privilege, in the good sense of the word, that you 
are privileged to be able to give people employment, which means that a couple can afford to buy a home or buy a holiday with their children and that if your company didn't exist, they might be unemployed and be unable to do that. And that recognition, especially in a family business context, where by and large you know the people and very often if the family business has been going long enough, their parents might have worked for you and their grandparents maybe even, I mean, we had three generations working um, for us in our family business at the same time at one point. And it, it, that, that family within a family within a family thing is, is very true in, in, in good family businesses. And to think that you, through your work and through your parents' work or your uncles and aunts' work and through their parents' work, have actually been able to do that for society while being right, doing right for themselves is a really special trait and treat that very few people have. Very few people experience it. There are, I don't know, a couple of million employers in the country, but there's tens of millions of people in Britain who have never employed another person, who have never had the privilege of giving somebody life-saving work. Um, and that is something special. Now, you need to think clearly to get to that position. And that goes with you know giving somebody a bonus. I remember I had a personal assistant and she was going through a very, very, very painful and difficult um, family issue. And I had the authority, because I was an owner and, and a director, to actually say, take as much time as you need. And she says, ah, but and says, don't worry about it. Just you, take as much time as you need and don't worry about it financially. We'll keep you in full pay and we'll sort it out after. And that privilege to be able to help somebody in that context is something to be truly grateful for. And most people in a family business have got something along those lines. And it's one of the great things to me about a good family business, a moral family business, is that they can do that sort of thing. Um, but it requires a good mind and it requires a clear mind. Yeah, absolutely. And um, without wanting to um, sort of move away from what we're talking about on, on this show, but it naturally follows that the, the next um, element of the sort of eightfold path is around um, right uh, speech, right communication, um, which is something we're going to cover in our next discussion, but as kind of a, a, a teaser, if you like, for, for what that um, it, it looks like. Could we just spend a few seconds on um, where we're going in, in terms of the next element? Yeah, so this element now of the path is like a logical chain. If you get your thinking right, your ability to think things through more constructively, more positively, and deal with the automatic stuff that's getting in the way, then that will automatically make your what you're going to say 
what you want to say, what you want to communicate, what you want to put in an email, what you want to put on LinkedIn or whatever, makes it more likely to be constructive, not self-harming, not damaging to others, not overtly critical or aggressive, unless it really has to be. So your, your communication improves, and that improves also with members of the family. And from that, then, also your actions and decisions improve. So you get from right thoughts and right thinking to right speech to right action, and then it hits, boom, really hard, and we'll come to that in due course, which is right livelihood. They just stop and think, this is a guy two and a half thousand years ago saying you need to be a skillful employee and you need to be a skillful employer. And by skillful, he's meaning thoughtful, considerate, think of the whole picture. You know, it's this, this scale of wisdom. We think, you know, everything new is great and innovative and entrepreneurial and, wow, you know, disrupting this, disrupting that. You know, people two and a half thousand years ago were hugely insightful. And to me, that's one of the great wonders of this, is that this guy in his 30s or 40s could actually create a process by which you, you go from being in control constructively with your mind to then say that influences what you communicate, that influences decision-making, it influences, and it should influence how you think about being as an employer and as an owner of a family business and as a manager as a director. Fantastic. And so I, that's all to come. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and uh, I'm sure uh, the audience are as well. So um, again, Martin, thank you for your time and insights in, in terms of covering what we did today. Again, uh, really enjoyable and um, I learned a lot. Uh, I keep saying through this that although I'm co-hosting this, I'm, I'm cheating because I'm learning a lot through it as well, which is, is great. So I really enjoyed it and uh, thank you again. Absolutely, my pleasure. Thanks, Ross. It is our firm belief that it is healthy for your business, your family as a whole, and each individual involved to learn how to develop a fresh, more objective perspective of the situation each of you is in, so that clearer aims, hopes, and visions can be explored together in a positive, respectful, and constructive manner. Martin and I have created the Mindful Family Business Programme to help you with this. If you'd like to find out more about this, please head to familybusinesspartnership.com forward slash mindful for more information. Or you can email me, russ at familybusinesspartnership.com. We really hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please feel free to share it with your family. And you can even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, take care.